and welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Mid-American Bandwagon Podcast. I can't believe it's episode 13. I'm Sam Thillman, uh, your co-host, as usual, joined with me with Zach Foley. Zach, how are you doing on this fine day? I'm doing good, man. I'm, I'm with you. I can't believe this is episode number 13 already, and um, I also... I feel like a kid on Christmas morning. We finally have some actual football to talk about here tonight. Uh, it's been a big week. I know we're going to get to it, but I'm just I'm excited to be able to talk about some Mac football. I, I'm there with you. I'm excited to watch my cards potentially uh, play six total games, which I don't know about. It's kind of it's kind of few, but it's action nonetheless. But again, I just want to emphasize how grateful I think both me and Zach are for hitting the thousand marks. We are currently at 1114 total plays. So shout out to you guys once again. We're very thankful. But none of that kind of uh, sappy. We're going to get into some football. We're going to get into some uh, action breakdown. So, Zach, I'll let you kind of break down what went on over this past week, really. Yeah, so I, as I'm sure everyone that's listening, you know, that, that, that follows the MAC knows by now, the MAC did announce last Friday that they are coming back, that uh, the football, uh, MAC football will be back in the fall. So uh, to kind of break this down for you, so it is going to be, um, as, as we all could have guessed, this is going to be a shortened season, right? We're going to have a six-game schedule uh, with a, a uh, November 4th kickoff. Um, so, and then we're going to have a MAC championship game, which is going to take place the weekend of December 18th. Um, they haven't decided the site for that yet. Hopefully it'll stay at Ford Field, but um, they're, they're going to have to, to make sure that that gets all confirmed. But that's, that's it right there. I mean, the, the MAC was the first to cancel. They're the last to come back. That's okay. They were careful. Um, they, they, you know, they took into consideration um, everything that had changed over the five weeks since they decided to cancel. And obviously the, the Big Ten, the Pac-12, the, the Mountain West had opted to, to move back to the fall, which I think um, gave the max, the, the, you know, the president, uh, there's some precedent to, to be able to, to say, um, these are the things that have changed that are, you're bringing football back. So there's going to be mandated three times a week testing. And uh, there's going to be, like I said, we're going to have six, ga- uh, six conference games uh, for each of our teams. Uh, so that'll include all your divisional games and then one crossover matchup as well. Again, starting on November 4th and, uh, and running through the weekend uh, before Christmas on, you know, with the MAC championship game being either December 17th or December 18th. That's the quick breakdown of it, Sam. Yep. Again, I think the big thing is the takeaway there. Six-game conference-only schedule. There's going to be three times a week mandated um, antigen COVID testing for all, all the teams. Uh, there are no bye weeks built into this year. So hopefully, you know, our teams can get through this uh, without any, you know, uh, positive tests or anything that's going to have to, you know, cause any delays or postponements or anything like that. But that, that's the gist of it, the long and short of it there, Sam. I know there's a ton of other details that we're going to cover here throughout this conversation, but that's the main points to cover right there. And I don't know about you, but I am uh, really excited to watch Mac football here in just a little over a month. Oh, I'm there with you. And the fact that they're still having a MAC conference championship game gets me even more excited if my Ball State Cardinals somehow get that. But I want to touch on what the commissioner said in the statement. We're uh, looking at the Detroit Free Press's article. And basically, I'm just curious to get your thoughts. But essentially, he said, our decisions in August and again today have been guided by an overriding concern for the well-being of the student-athletes, institutions, and the community at large. Our medical advisory group, presidents, director of athletics, and others have worked hard to develop a plan that provides the opportunity for student athletes to complete to compete. We will be get we will be diligent in monitoring the dynamic health environment across the conference footprint in the country. And I'm just, I'm just, I, I'm just uh, kind of, uh, I don't know the word. I'm just kind of interested in the fact that he didn't mention the social media or he didn't mention like anything about the athletes voicing their opinions. He kind of stood in that lane of medical, 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 worrying about the well-being of students. Did you have any thoughts on the statement by uh, Commissioner Steinbrecher? Yeah, I I think um, it it was an interesting statement. It was. And I I think I I agree with his, his sentiment. However, I, I can't I can't help but feel that the players coming out and speaking out on social media, it had to have 
had a, a role in this. It had to have played a role in this. I said this in, in our podcast. I can't remember if it was last week's episode or, or the week before, but I, I commend Commissioner Steinbrecher for at least having the, the wherewithal to be able to see the players saying, hey, we want to play, and being able to see the coaches saying, hey, we want to play, and listening to that and, and being able to reconsider. I, I, I do commend him for that. I do think, though, um, that to say, obviously, yes, health and safety was was a big driving factor in all this. But I also, it's hard to look past the fact that, you know, how much changed over the 48 hours or the 72 hours before the MAC decided to come back whenever, you obviously, the week before you had the Big Ten returning to play and then the Pac-12 and the Mountain West following suit. I think at that point, the, the MAC, you know, as a, almost as if their hand was forced and, and they felt like they had to do it because everyone else was doing it. Obviously, when it comes to the health and safety side of things, you know, they, they came out and they, you know, they did say that the, the wider ability of affordable testing um, or the wider availability, I should say, of affordable testing uh, for COVID was a major factor in this. But um, I, I do agree with you, Sam. I think, you know, him, him not mentioning anything about the, the, the players movement on social media and stuff like that. I still think that had a big, big say in prompting all this and starting this conversation back up and kudos to those players for, for making their voice heard. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you. And the one thing, I don't know if you saw this, but I'm just curious, you mentioned the testing, the wide available of cheap testing. I'm just wondering what the plan is there because I know a, a big concern was the cost of it. So is the conference going to be footing it? Is it still going to be the universities? Because they're still losing those non-conference games that we mentioned a long time ago that were canceled a long time ago. I'm just wondering what's where, where the money is coming from. What is ESPN doing a different TV deal? Like I'm just wondering the numbers here because a big portion of it, even though they don't want to admit it is money. Yeah. And so how did they kind of just say it's okay to we can afford it now essentially? So I, I don't know the specifics of, of the TV deal. I, I do know that um, a majority of at least in November when this starts off, I know a majority of Max games are going to be on weeknights on ESPN. So I'm sure that that's a conversation that was had between the conference and the network of saying, hey, if we come back, is there going to be some opportunity for um, increased visibility, which I think there, there certainly will be not, a, not in any small part because of the fact that the NBA is not going to be playing again, right? You think about November uh, weeknights, the NBA is a major part of, of college or of, of ESPN's programming at that point. The NBA has said they're not going to be starting up again until probably the January 2021. So that leaves a huge hole in ESPN's programming that they need to fill. And I think the Mac was able to step right in and fill that. Now, in terms of paying for the testing, um, that's actually a great question, Sam. And I'm not 100% certain about that. Now, the, the, one of the quotes in this Detroit Free Press article was from uh, Central Michigan Interim Athletic Director Rachel Blunt, where she said, um, this return to competition is possible because of the tremendous advances in testing over the past month, both in accuracy and affordability. So the fact that she included affordability in that statement, that makes me feel like the, the, the schools are footing the bill for these tests or the conference maybe is footing the bill for these tests for the schools. I'm not sure exactly how that worked out, but I agree with you there that that is, that's an important point that, you know, I, I wish we had some clarification on because those tests to be, to test everyone four times a week, that's not cheap. To, to test a whole football team of, you know, you think about all the players on the team and the staff. I mean, that's a, you're looking at upwards of a hundred people. You got to test all of those people four times a week. That's a lot of, of antibody tests. So I would also be curious to know where all that money's coming from. And, and to make up for that money, I, I was reading Ball State Sports and their kind of statement towards in general public isn't going to be allowed. I, I don't know whether they said anything about students. I, I don't think so yet. I know they haven't. They've said no tailgating as well. So, like, I'm just wondering with the ESPN deal or whatever, can that make up for the ability to test, let's say, 70 people four times a week? Like, that, that seems like a lot of money to me, not just for – just for any university, like I know the Big Ten and Power Five can afford it, but this is the Mac we're talking about. So it's different, different levels, and um, just just different costs all around. Yeah, I'm with you, and and I don't think if there is any extra money coming from ESPN this year, which I don't know if there is or not. 
I, I still, I don't see how that could cover the extra expenses of, of testing. I think if I'm being honest, I think if, you know, if professor or uh, professor commissioner Steinbrecher and the presidents here, I think we're probably already looking at the finances for this year and saying it's already been a disaster. Let's just recoup what we can uh, in a, having a six game season. Let's, let's get the money that we can from our TV deal and from our sponsors and stuff of that nature. And then, Let's circle back and hopefully we have a full season in 2021 with fans in the stands. I think the schools and the athletic departments right now, they just, they need something, right? They, they can't go this whole fall semester without bringing any revenue in. So I think playing a six game schedule, while the, the revenues this year might be lower than other years and the expenses might be higher, I think they're probably looking at it from the perspective of, you know, some money coming in is better than none. And who knows, by, maybe by the time the MAC championship around uh, comes around December 18th or 19th, because we've seen the, the NFL slowly increase the amount of fans a lot. Like I know the Colts are having like 7,500 this week or whatever the name is. So maybe, maybe they won't have fans week one or week two, but maybe by week three, week four, we can have some students in there. That, that's what I'm looking forward to. Zach, did you have any final thoughts before we move on to some kind of, kind of more like darker news if you want like I don't know how to put it like yeah no I nothing else on this subject for me I think the next step obviously is that uh the the schedule is going to have to get released so I think I'm I'm really excited to to see the schedule that they put out and and once they have the schedule I know Sam you and I have been talking about then at that point you know we'll be able to start doing some season preview type of stuff you know tie that in with some of the other content that the hustle belt's putting out so um I'm really excited for that as a next step as of right now, though, no, I'm just excited that the Mac is coming back, and I'm looking forward to November 4th. Yeah, same here. And I'm, and at this point, now that we've got fall sports figured out, I think both me and you can agree. Like, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to hear what winter sports have to offer. I think they announced uh, in the NCAA that a men's and women's basketball again, November 25th, and with this being October, I'm kind of curious what the Max plan is going to be moving forward. Are we doing a bubbles? We're probably not going to do a bubble situation, but like what the plan is moving forward, are we going to do four testing a week like we did in football? It's a lot less people, a lot less yeah. uh, maybe fans, maybe not. I'm just curious on that end as well. Yeah, so am I. And, and I think logistically, it's I think basketball is going to be a little bit easier. Like you mentioned, you know, the teams are a lot smaller. The staffs are a lot smaller. So um, the, the scale isn't quite as large. So I think that'll make basketball a little bit easier, but um, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm, I'm waiting to hear what the Mac's going to say. Uh, I'm assuming, you know, they'll start on November 25th with the rest of, of the NCAA, but, you know, we'll have to wait and see on that one. And if you want to let us know what you think, I recently posted a Twitter question. What do you guys think of the recent news? So be sure to let us know what your feelings are. If you hate it, you like it, let us know why on, on there. Go follow us at Mac underscore bandwagon. And now to move on to some little bit of darker news. We've seen the NFL recently postpone a game, and there's uh, some concerning news with a Mac school. Zach, do you want to break down that news? Yeah, sure. So uh, the other day, uh, it came out that uh, there was a COVID outbreak uh, in the athletic department at Buffalo. Um, so, so Buffalo paused uh, football workouts along with volleyball and women's soccer. Uh, they had 25 student athletes test positive. Um, last week. So um, 19 of those 25 athletes who tested positive were football players. Um, and so obviously, again, because of that, workouts have been temporarily postponed. Um, you know, thoughts are with those players. Well, I'm sure they're in isolation right now. And hopefully here within the next week or two, they'll, they'll be okay and set to go and ready to start preparing for the football season. But, um, but yeah, as of right now, it does look like Buffalo has been the most recent school uh, affected by a COVID outbreak. We've seen it elsewhere. I know back in January, uh, we had a, you know, there was a, a basketball game at Miami of Ohio that was uh, postponed because of a COVID outbreak on campus there, which was way before any of, you know, the, this wider scale pandemic even started. So this is not new to us in the MAC and um, hopefully the, the situation at Buffalo gets cleared up rather quickly. But as of now, yeah, it looks like uh, Buffalo's uh, team workouts for football, women's uh, volleyball and, and uh, soccer have all been posed or should have been paused uh, while they deal with this. So, you know, like you mentioned, Sam, we just saw, we saw the NFL postpone this week's Steelers Titans game. We saw baseball games in the MLB get postponed over the summer. 
you know, unfortunately, you know, 2020 is just seems like this is just something we're going to have to deal with. Yeah, and and we've seen also other college football games get postponed, like a yeah. decent amount of football games. And what this, why this worries me is because we haven't seen the numbers for the other schools yet. And yeah. Ball State's or Buffalo's the only one because it's probably the biggest amount they got the numbers out or whatever. But I'm just curious to see what the other 11 schools programs is because they pro they they haven't been testing since the uh, stoppage, which was what was it last or earlier this month, right? That was, I mean, that was like over six weeks ago. I mean, we're over talking early, early August at that point. And yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Um, it, it is interesting because not all schools report their numbers and, you know, not all schools are following the same protocols and testing the same way or even using the same tests. So um, yeah, it is going to be, I, I would hope that as part of this return to play, um, there's going to be a little bit more uniformity among the Mac schools and a little bit, you know, hopefully that they will be more forthcoming with this type of information. And hopefully here, you know, it's the, it's September 30th and we're starting on November 4th. So we got about six weeks until uh, Mac football is set to start. Hopefully in that time, in those six weeks, these programs can get all of their ducks in a row and, and you know, in terms of their protocols, get everything set out and, and ready to go. And that way, once November 4th gets here, hopefully we can be at a point where we're not going to have to worry about any postponed games. But that, you know, again, it's 2020. You never know what's going to happen. Uh, fingers crossed, though, that, that once we get to that point, we'll be in the clear. And the idea of postponement kind of, uh, kind of brings up in my mind, we have a six-game schedule, obviously, but if there's an outbreak like this, I'm just wondering what the max plan is. Do we do we include bye weeks in there? Do we yeah. what like what what is I'm just I just want to know the detail plan because we've seen the NFL, we've seen a bunch of college football. What the plan is moving forward? Say we've got a Ball State at uh, Miami Ohio game week two, but yet Miami Ohio gets ten plus cases. Yeah. Are, does like are they postponing that like? In that time frame, do we have enough time to go to the match? Like, I yeah. like all, all that involved. It just seems like such a huge kind of like time crunch that doesn't allow for much. Um, I don't know the word for much error. If you want, there's to not, not a lot of wiggle room. Yeah, there's and it's an interesting point you make because with you know with a six game season um, that that you know there, that's no, there's not a lot of games there, right? That's half of a normal year, so. You know, if, if, if you're going to have a team, you, you use Miami as an example. If Miami has an outbreak and, you know, 15 players test positive, then those two, those players got to isolate for, you know, 14 days or 21 days, whatever it is. If you got to isolate for three weeks, you're missing three games. That's half your season. So there's not a lot of wiggle room here at all. There's, there's no way around that. So I think that's what I was – I guess that was the point I was making in my last answer is, you know, these, these programs, we got six weeks basically to get – everything set to get all these procedures in place to get the testing down so let's just hope that they're using that time wisely and that way when we get to november 4th hopefully we won't have any of these issues and i'm there with you and i i think that kind of wraps it up with our uh, COVID outbreak at buffalo news now as we mentioned miami miami fans you should be excited about our uh recent news they've got some actual uh Good players opting back in. Do you want to break that down, Zach, as well? Yeah, sure. So um, back before the MAC even announced that they were going to be uh, postponing their season and before they obviously announced that they were returning in the fall here, there were a couple of star players from Miami that had opted out of the season to prepare for the NFL draft. Cornerback um, Manny Rugamba, who was uh, the defensive uh, MVP in the MAC championship game last year, and then two offensive linemen, Tommy Doyle and uh, Danny Godlevsky, um, had all opted out of the uh, of, of the 2020 season earlier this summer. Manny Rugamba is one of the best returning players in the MAC, looking at probably being a mid round draft pick next year. He's a transfer from Iowa, uh, where he started his career. And then Tommy Doyle and Danny Golevsky, uh, both starters on the offensive line for Miami of Ohio, and part of the reason why uh, they won the MAC title last year. They gave you know Brett Gabbard all kinds of time to throw in the pocket also uh, helped the Miami run game immensely as well. So with all three of these guys coming back, Sam, when I look at the Eastern division, I mean, Miami's right there. I think, I think it's a three team race in the East. I look at Miami, I look at Buffalo and I look at Kent state. 
I think those three teams are going to be battling it out for um, to you know to see who's going to represent the Eastern Division in the MAC championship game. I wouldn't have said that if these three guys were not returning to Miami, I, I would probably drop them down a tier and probably put them in three four range. But I think now uh, that these three guys are back. Um, that's a huge boost to their team. And I could see them right there with Kent State and Buffalo in the East in terms of the top of that division. Yeah, I agree with you. I could be wrong, but I think with the six-game schedule, Ball State with their five conference and one non-conference, I could be wrong and they would have to play Miami-Ohio, but I don't think that would be the case since they're not rivals or whatever. I could be wrong on that. But if that's the case, then I'm glad we don't have to play Miami-Ohio to just be frankly like, I, I would be scared to not only play that offense now that, Brett Gabbard's got two solid offensive lines returning, but also Manny Rugamba, who we mentioned on this podcast, who I, I written about for Hustle Belt. Like, he's just such a great player. He's, he's an yeah. NFL prospect uh, is the reason why he opted out in the first place. But now that he's returning, I'm, I'm super glad Drew Plitt doesn't have to avoid that defense. I, I, I believe if that's the case, if Ball State doesn't have to play Miami. Yeah, I agree with you. And it will be interesting I because I know the, the MAC has not announced what those crossover games are going to be between the divisions. So, um, you know, when I when I think about, you know, who, who Ball State might get paired up with there, you know, I, I guess there is a chance it could be Miami. But as I think about it, I mean, I know that's not like a huge traditional rivalry or anything like that. So, um, yeah, that'll, that will be interesting to see. But um, yeah, the, the the crossover team that gets stuck with uh, playing the Red Hawks, certainly, uh, certainly not the easiest of draws. And with that being said, uh, Zach, do you have any final thoughts on the? No, I don't. I like I said, I'm just excited to see what the schedule uh, looks like when it gets released. I'm excited that we're going to have MAC football here in a couple weeks, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I think here, you know, Sam and I, you, you're, we're going to have uh, you know putting out a lot of you know season preview content here over the next month or so. So. Uh, I'm excited to do all of that. And, uh, yeah, football's back, baby. I, I can't wait. Yeah, I'm super excited, as you mentioned, to see the schedule, who Ball State ends up playing. As I mentioned, five conference, one uh, cross-divisional or uh, non I don't know how to say it, like inter-conference? I would or? say cross-divisional would be a good way to say it. Yeah, cross-divisional. Get that one crossover game with someone from the Eastern Division. So those will be – I'm sure there will be some interesting matchups there. Yeah, for sure. And if you're – and with the balls – with the – Max Sports returning. If you're looking for some suggestions for what to drink this weekend while watching sports or winding down the evening after a hard day of working from home, we're here to help with Belt's Beer Garden. Every week, our very own Dave Drury tastes craft beer from around the country and breaks down the profiles like a true expert sommelier. Check out hustlebelt.com every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern for his latest recommendation or follow on Instagram at Belt's Beer Garden for 24-7 updates. Now, with that being said, we decided to uh, – Pose the question to you guys. What are your feelings toward the MAC returning? We had a decent amount of responses. We had one, two, three, four responses that we have to touch on. Zach, do you want to uh, uh, cover it? Yeah, sure, sure. So, um, so yeah, we had tweeted out uh, a couple of days back on what I guess it was on Saturday, uh, what you guys were thinking uh, in regards to the MAC coming back. Uh, gut feel gambling, uh, shout out. I know he's, he's, uh, tweeted at us a few times now said, wish it was eight conference games, but with six, at least it's the most important six, five division opponents and arrival. Uh, Sam, I, I do tend to agree with him in the fact that, you know, I'm always going to be one that, you know, I, I want as much Mac football as I can get. So if they could have done an eight game schedule, I would have enjoyed that very much. And I would have watched it, but given the circumstances, I, I think I'll take the six games. Um, I, don't, I don't know if, what, what your thoughts on that are. Yeah, I don't want to beat a dead horse because we've touched on it several times. My feelings have remained the same. I think if we could have gotten an A conference in spring, it would have been said we have been the only conference in um, uh, at the college football to do it. I think it would have set us apart. I know we would have had to compete with March Madness to the end, but if you're going to watch MAC football, you're going to watch MAC football. If you're not, you're not. So I don't think it would have been too much competition there. But, yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. I want more MAC football. Maybe that would have given us an, uh, a chance for students to go to all the games rather than maybe just one or two. But, yeah, that's just my feelings on it. Yeah. Um, our guy, the K-Hod, Esmanichael, he had said that he can dig it, which I'm on board with you there, man. I, I agree with that. Now, we had uh, two, two more responses here, one from 
uh, Reese Timbrook and one from the Forgotten Five that are a little bit opposing uh, in their views. So the Forgotten Five had said, uh, it said, I don't hate it. A limited fall schedule is better than in the spring. Plus you get the weeknight attention. And then what Reese had said was, I like it, obviously. I want my football. It just feels like they missed an opportunity to have a nine or 10 game schedule. You're, you're waiting so long. It makes me wonder, is six games now better than being on every TV set in the spring? We would have been the only game in town. I'm curious to get your thoughts on this one, Sam, because obviously the Forgotten Five thinks that, you know, having a limited fall schedule is better than uh, having a weeknight season, or a, excuse me, a spring season. Reese Timbrook seems to take the other side. And yeah. I, I go back and forth on this, but there's a big part of me that, that does tend to agree with Reese. You know, I think that, first of all, if we could have had nine or 10 games in the spring, that's a bonus. It gives us extra, extra games to watch, but also with the, with the big 10 and the PAC 12 and the mountain West all moving back to the fall, the, the Mac really would have been the only FBS conference playing in the spring. I think there could have been some value in that. Now, obviously with the NBA not playing in November, they're, they're still going to get their national spotlight. They're going to get some standalone weeknight games, but um I don't know. I don't know what your thoughts on that are, Sam, but I, I do feel like there could have been some value for the Mac and being the only show in town in the spring. I, I agree with the Forgotten Five in the first uh, sense. I don't hate it. Now, you, you may think I hate I, I hate the idea of a fall sports, and I that's actually the contract. I don't mind it. I would just prefer a spring schedule. Like, I'm all for this six-game schedule, but if we could have, as Reese Timbrook said, been on every TV set, as I mentioned before, nine or 10 games, I would have preferred that. Now, the back to the Forgotten Five thing, I don't hate it. I, I'm there. I'm I'm ready to watch some action. I I think I think it's, I like I don't know how to phrase it. Like I I I don't hate it. I I'm 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 with him on that. Yeah, yeah, and it's you know I I think it's it's six in one hand, half a dozen in the other. You know I I think we're 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 all we're we're all happy about this, right? Everyone's happy that the Mac is going to be back and we're going to be able to watch football. I I am only of the mind of saying. You know, if, if be waiting until the spring could have given us three extra games or four extra games, sign me up for that. But I'm not going to complain about six games in November either. Yeah, I'm not either. And with that being said, do you have any final thoughts on that, Zach? No, I don't. I think the only other thing I wanted to say and mm -hmm. make sure I mention while we're uh, on the subject of, of Twitter and just, you know, our content on Twitter with uh, I did, I did want to talk, you know, obviously the last couple of weeks we've been doing what if Shin and we've been doing the weekly simulations and posting the box scores with the, with the max news that they are returning and that there actually is going to be football this fall. We're not going to continue with that. It was fun while it lasted. We enjoyed it. But um, I think I speak for everyone when I say that, you know, we'd rather have real football games than simulated box scores. So we're, we're going to put that to rest for now. It served its purpose well for a couple of weeks. We enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I know Sam, I, we both enjoyed picking those games and uh, looking at the Twitter polls and seeing how everyone voted, but we are going to put that to bed for now since we have actual football coming up to focus on, which again, we're super excited about. Yeah, I, I'm there with you. I, I think I can declare myself uh, official champion, you know. Yeah, you got you got me by, I think, two games, two yeah. or three games you had me by. So, yeah. hey, you know what? I'm not saying I would have caught you eventually, but I might have caught you eventually. Yeah, you may have, but you know, <laughs> I'm just, you know, just. But you know what? The, the good thing is now is that here in, in, a, in a month or so, we're going to have real games that we're going to be able to pick. So we, we can start this over. Exactly. And unfortunately, we still can't do the trap game segment because there's no non-conference games. Yeah. But we can still pick the conference game. Good old Maction. Good night week, weeknight Maction. And yeah, we'll, we're, I, I'm going to keep doing these Twitter questions for as long as we want to do them for. I, I, I think I enjoy it. What do you think, Zach? Yeah, I agree. I think I love hearing the fans' insights and, and their thoughts. And uh you know, we've got a couple of people that respond to everything that we love for that. You know, Espanacle responds all the time. We love them. We shout them out on here. We've got some other folks as well. You know, the Forgotten Five have all been awesome. And obviously the folks at uh, Zips United have been great. And, uh, you know, the, the NIU fans as well. They might have some venom in their, in their replies sometimes, but that's okay. We, we like it all. We, we enjoy everything. So, yeah, I think it's an awesome thing. And, and we love the interaction with you guys on Twitter. Again, if you want to be a part of it, follow at Mac underscore bandwagon. We're up to 272 followers. So keep joining the bandwagon. Keep making this the best 
uh, most awesomest, I'm going to make up that word for this, most awesomest uh, Mac podcast you can. We love doing it. If you guys keep getting involved, we'll keep doing it. We'll come up with better things. But yeah, I think that's going to wrap it up for this segment. We're going to move on to, I would, I'm going to say one of our, one of my most favorite interviews with Ian McGarvey. Yeah, he was a, he was an incredible interview. Really interesting guy. Uh, for anyone that, that doesn't remember that name, he was a member of Ball State's undefeated 2008 MAC championship team uh, with, uh, with Brady Hoke. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, they did not win the MAC championship, that, uh, the, the conference championship game that year, but they did win the, uh, the, the West Division and uh, had a 12-2 and season, one of the best in Ball State's history. So anyone that uh, remembers that team knows that they were electric, and uh, Ian was a big part of that. He was a great interview. No doubt. He was a kicker. As you know, I'm a big For the Brand supporter, so got to bring in the For the Brand supporters when we can. But yeah, we're going to jump straight into that interview. Welcome back to another episode of the Mid-American Bandwagon Podcast. Uh, It's me, your host, Sam Thelman, as usual, joined, as always, by Zach. Zach, how are you doing? Doing good tonight, man. It's uh, we it's official. The Mac is coming back. We're gonna have football here in about a month or two. Uh, it's a good day. And yeah, and we've actually got a special guest for this segment. You may know him as when he retired as the all-time points leader for Ball State. He was a kicker back in the early 2000s to late 2000s. Ian, Ian, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? I'm doing well. Yeah, we're doing great. We appreciate you taking some time to uh, to talk to us here, even. Uh, and you know, Ian, it's it's cool because we can look back and you know, looking at some of your stats. I know you you uh, were on some great teams at Ball State back from what, uh, like 2007 to 2011. So we're excited to talk to you. Yeah, me too. And even more so, knowing that uh, hopefully in the next couple of weeks uh, we're going to start seeing more and more college football, and more specifically, see some MAC football once we hit November. So yes, sir. So, so Ian, I wanted to start this out like we do with every guest. How did you end up at Ball State? What was the recruiting like? How did you end up there? And like, yeah, just start there, like general background. Yeah, absolutely. So um, like a lot of kickers uh, grew up with a soccer background. A um, couple of football players just kind of jokingly told me to come out to football practice one day my sophomore year. Uh, fell in love from the moment that I kicked a football. And uh, uh, going into my senior year, um, my team was doing a, a camp uh, through Ball State. And um, I remember getting off the bus for camp and my head coach coming to me and being like, hey, just so you know, Ball State is looking to uh, offer a scholarship to a, a place kicker um, for next year. Okay, like, cool, you know. Um, honestly, at the time, wasn't too familiar with the history of Ball State football. Um, but uh, so later that day, uh, kicked really, really well that day. Um, at the time, Brady Hoke was the head coach. Um, had no idea who Brady Hoke was at the time. And Brady Hoke comes up to me while I'm kicking uh, during the camp and is trying to put some pressure on me. And luckily, I think probably luckily I didn't know who he was because if I did, I might've been a little bit more nervous, Um, but I didn't know who he was at the time. So here I am, some some guy just coming up to me uh, telling me, Hey, you know, kick from here, kick from here. And uh, days over, he finally introduces himself uh, as, as who he is, Brady Hoke, head football coach at Ball State. And is like, Hey, um, tomorrow we're having another camp at Ball State. Uh, we're going to have some other kickers on campus who are all going to be basically competing for uh, a scholarship position. And he's like, I want you to be there. So obviously uh, made sure I was there the next day. Um, so then the camp was split up kind of into a two to two session deal. Um, so after the first session uh, went and grabbed lunch. And as I was entering the stadium, um, uh, uh, some, someone within the ball state uh, athletics department comes up to me and just grabs me by the shirt. It's like, Hey, come with me, come with me. I was so confused. Didn't know what was going on. Um, next thing I know there's coach Hoke standing there, have a quick conversation. He's like, Ian want to offer you a scholarship. Um, and, and, uh, it, it all went from there. Um, so committed pretty quickly, um, visited ball state, uh, pretty quickly after he had made a scholarship offer. Um, and, uh, was really glad I did. So, uh, awesome. quick, quick question before you jump in. Did you have any other offers to any other score? Was Ball State the only one? Um, Eastern Kentucky offered me, for some reason, <laughs> offered me later in recruiting. Um, I was already committed. Don't know why they ever came along. Um, Ohio U um, also talked to me during my senior season. Um, they had 
Um, I think they had at the time someone transfer out that, and they, they were going to need someone to come in and start as a freshman. Um, and, and they were eager to get me, but, um, what they didn't actually technically offer me a scholarship, but they were gonna offer me. And then at the last second, um, they had a, a, a transfer, a graduate transfer transfer from, um, Washington or Washington state. So they were like, mm. Oh, sorry. You know, we had every intention of, of sending you a scholarship, but unfortunately this happened. So, you know, gotcha. we didn't have that. but so I, you know, I think things happened the way they were supposed to. So. Sure. Yeah, sure. So, um, you, you, you know, you mentioned things happening the way that they're supposed to, and, and you talked a little bit about the, you know, the recruiting process and how you ended up at Ball State. So obviously your time at Ball State, I mean, you were on some, some great teams there, specifically anyone that's followed the Mac for the last 15 years remembers that 2008 Ball State team with, with Nate Davis and uh, the rest of that squad that was really electric. Um, what, what's kind of your, your, you know, when you look back on that season, what do you remember about that team? And what about, like, do you remember, or do you have any memorable kicks from that year? I know one of the, I guess, downsides, if you want to look at it, is there weren't a lot of close games that you guys played that year. So it wasn't as if you had a ton of, you know, high-pressure kicks at the end of the games. But just looking back on that season, what do you remember the most? And, you know, what any memorable moments for you from that year? Yeah. Um, you know, as time, as time passes, those memories definitely fade more and more. Um, I vividly remember uh, in the MAC championship, um, well, so I, earlier that year, we were at Toledo and um, Toledo iced me. They called a timeout at halftime before I was about to hit a field goal. And I ended up uh -huh. missing that field goal. And uh, I kind of mentally made a note of that. I was like, you know what? I'm never going to let that happen again. Um, and so we got into the MAC championship game and uh, uh, we had a 47 yarder. Can't remember where on the field it was. Um, but they, of course, tried to ice me again. Um, I, I vividly remember the memory of Toledo coming up and being like, I'm not letting that happen again. Um, and, and actually, the, a week or two before, it, Miami had tried to do the same thing, didn't work. But uh, I remember making that field goal, and one of the guys on Buffalo who had tried to block the kick, I turned around and basically taunted him and was like, hey, I'm sorry, did that go in? And like started clapping, and the ref was right there. And I just remember thinking, oh, shoot, like that was – I'm about to get a, I'm about to get a flag. I'm about to get so much trouble. Um, and luckily, luckily nothing came of it. Um, but uh, that's definitely one of them. There, I mean, so many memories from that season, um, not just obviously my own personal, you know, field goals, but just a lot of ups and, and obviously downs that, that Mac championship game. Um, golly, I, you know, when uh, we hit one, that 12th game and, and all the students stormed the field, um, you know, that's something that a lot, of, you know, it's one thing to say a lot of people will never get to experience college football and division one college football. Uh, it's another thing to, you know, be able to say that you had a season like that and were a part of it. Um, very, very special. Yeah. And so just a little bit of a kind of more lighthearted question. So I'm, I'm curious in your prime in practice or in a game, what was the farthest you could kick? And obviously you being a few years out of college or whatnot, what, what, what's the like longest field goal you can hit now? Oh gosh. Um, well, funny story. So back, I mean, back in the day, you know, depending on whether or not you're kicking like a nice broken in what we would call, you know, us kickers would call a balloon ball where, you know, it's kind of been when, when, when you get footballs uh, as far as like in practice, you know, the quarterbacks always get the brand new footballs. And then once they've kind of been broken in and have been used a little bit, then it gets passed on to the other positions that need them like wide receivers and running backs. Well then once they're a little too, you know, broken down, then they get passed to the other positions who, you know, don't touch the football as much, but still need them within their practice. Like, you know, like the defensive guys. And then once the footballs are basically at the end of their life, they get passed to the kickers. Um, that being said, we, we love those footballs because they're so broken in, they'll fly a mile. Um, so we call them balloon balls. And uh, with a balloon ball, I don't know if there's a college, you know, a division one kicker out there who can't hit from 55 plus, you know. Um, but then when you get into a game and they're putting a, you know, brand new game ball in there, that's rock hard. Um, golly, those, those things are, are, are pretty difficult to hit. Um, you know, you see these NFL guys, especially who are hitting, um, you know, these, these huge kicks these days. What people don't realize is, is not only do they have such big legs that they can hit as big as they do, but those balls they're hitting are rocks. Um, so if they were to hit with some of those balloons, like we could kick it within practice, those guys can send it a mile. Um, but, uh, let's see, I've been graduated now for just under 10 years. Um, I, so I coach special teams at one of the high schools here in Indianapolis at Lawrence North high school. 
And uh, I like to pride myself as, as being uh, what I call myself as one of the best scout team kickers in the state. Cause I often will handle <laughs> scout team kicking. So I'll be the guy who hits kickoffs to the scout team on or to our kickoff return team. And whenever we're practicing on sides, you know, I'll, I'll hit those and things. Um, but uh, I'd say I'm probably still good from 45 or 50. Might not, might not clear the line of scrimmage though. Still <laughs> get it over the line of scrimmage. That's a different story. Still, that's still an impressive distance. Um, yeah, it's like riding a bicycle, you know? Yeah, I, I could imagine. Uh, so talk to us, we, Sam and I, we, we, you know, we were talking yesterday uh, about, you know, this interview we're going to do, be doing with you. And, and, and we were both curious if, if you could talk to us a little bit about kind of the, the mental side of, of being a kicker, right? Because it's, it's a little bit different than, than most situations, you know, most positions in football where, you know, you, you might only be called upon, you know, once or twice a week, but sometimes those are in very, very big moments. So, you know, when, when you're in a situation where you have to make a pressure field goal to tie a game or to win a game at the end, or, you know, let's say maybe you've missed a kick or two earlier in the game and you have to go out and kick a field goal again, you know, in the fourth quarter or something like that. Talk to us a little bit about that mental aspect of being a kicker, because again, it's, it's obviously, it's a very unique position in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. You know, every, everyone's different in how they handle and feel pressure. Um, you know, just as a classic example, Steve Schott, um, guy who kicked after me, was my teammate for three years at Ball State. Great friend of mine. Um, great guy. That kid had ice in his veins. Um, there wasn't a kick that he wouldn't want to go on the field and kick. Um, I was much different. Um, I think I felt the pressure a little more than he did. Um, I had to train myself early on as a, as a, as a kicker to try and uh, block out some of the you know, physiological responses that come with getting nervous, you know, your heart races, um, things happen faster than they seem. Um, and so just being able to learn to calm myself as my career went on. Um, but, but every kicker handles pressure differently. Um, some kickers don't see it. Some kickers feel it more than others. Um, it, uh, it, when, when you're practicing, you know, it's the, the, usually the mentality of a kicker is you treat practice like games and you treat games like practice. Um, you try and make practice a lot harder on yourself than it is. And then once you get into the game, you just try to make it like you're out there in the summer with, you know, uh, your, your shirt off sweating and just kicking footballs by yourself. Um, easier said than done, obviously. <laughs> and, and just going, uh, just to add on that. So I, like after a missed kick, cause I'm curious, do you, did you ever lose confidence in yourself or how did, how did you get yourself back to, just like, yes, I can, I can hit a kick. Cause we've seen many times in the NFL or whatever, where it just like, it just seems to spiral. Like I think we saw Gostowski miss like three field goals in a row this season. Yeah, probably, probably as far as, you know, pressure goes for a kicker, probably one of the most difficult things to do is uh, come back after a miss. Um, and that's what really normally sets those guys at the highest level apart from, from others. You know, you look at Adam Vinatieri, um, you know, Adam, obviously, you know, the best kicker ever to play, not because he necessarily had the biggest leg or could hit the ball the highest or the farthest, but it was because every situation to him was the same, you know? Um, and, and that's why he was so successful at what he did. Um, but, but yeah, um, I, I'm trying to remember if there was a time in my career where that happened. Um, and I'm kind of blanking right now, but I definitely had instances where the opposite happened where, I, I missed one and then came back out and uh, missed another one after that. And that it's it, it obviously, you know, you, you get a wound after the first one and then you're basically just dumping salt into the wound on the second one, you know, it, it's real hard. Um, and, and I know that it's, it, it's the same at any position when you make a, a big mistake like that, where quarterback throws a pick or, or, or turnover, you know, running back fumbles the ball. Um, you know, it, it, it's hard no matter what position you're at to come at from a mistake like that, where, you know, you've caused such a momentum shift for your team. Um, and, and, you know, in high school football, you know, making field goals is more of a, a you know, a, a gift, if you will, rather than an expectation to me uh, versus, you know, at a certain level in college or in the NFL, it's expected that you make field goals when you're on the field. Um, and so when you don't, um, not only, I think, do you put the pressure on yourself or, you know, feel it yourself that you've, you've made a mistake, but you've let your team down because, you know, uh, I remember back when um, Mike Vanerjack missed that field goal in the playoffs against the Steelers for the Colts. And uh, after the game, um, something he said always kind of stuck with me um, in my, in my position as a kicker. And, and it was, he said, you know, as a kicker, you've got one job, 
you have got one job and that's to put the ball through the uprights. And, um, you know, to play at, at, at a high level, you have to have that mentality that, that it just has to get done. Um, so yeah, definitely difficult to, to come back after a miss for sure. Yeah. I, I can only imagine, uh, so Ian, I, I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier when, when you talked a little bit about your recruiting process and how you ended up at ball state and how, you know, you yeah. had, you had gone through a kicking camp that, that ball state was running. What, if, if you're talking to, you know, if you have a, a player on, on your high school team that you're talking to, that's a punter or a kicker that wants to get noticed, or if you're talking to a high school senior that's, you know, trying to get a, a look as a division one specialist as a punter and a kicker, obviously, you know, there's, there's less spots available there. And also, you know, there's a lot of programs where their kickers might just be, you know, preferred walk-ons or something like that. So when, when, when you're talking to high school students or, you know, high school kickers or punters nowadays, what's kind of your advice for them? What's, what, what's the, what's the typical path you advise them to take to get noticed by division one schools? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I'm a bit indifferent on this topic. Um, when I was in, in high school and college, um, you know, there were a few of these big names kind of kicking camps where, um, you know, they advertised themselves as being able to get kids recruited. And now, um, you know, there are everyone in their, and their mother is opening kicking camps now saying that they can get kids recruited to college. And, um, you know, me personally, the way I earned my scholarship, um, you know, I, 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 I went, the kickers that I have coached, I've always preached to them that your play on the field will speak for itself. Um, if, if you're a guy who, <clears throat> excuse me, can, can go into a game and perform and, and colleges, you know, the film doesn't lie and the film will always speak for itself. And, um, you know, you, you can go to all these camps where, you know, essentially a lot of these kicking camps these days aren't even kicking camps. You essentially are just going and putting your name on, on a website and listing how far you can kick the ball and how many field goals you can make out of this many attempts. Um, and I get that there's a place for that. Um, but it, it seems like the, the world of kicking has just turned into that. And I wish there were still, you know, more people out there where they just made it about coaching kickers and not um, you know, just the recruiting process. But that being said, those recruiting processes are pretty successful, especially at some of those higher level camps. Um, there was a camp that I went to uh, called Cole's Kicking. Um, Jamie Cole was actually really, really good to me. And if anyone ever asks me, you know, hey, like if there's a camp I should go to, who should it be? I will always say them, um, you know, but, but they're kind of on the same page with a lot of those other big conglomerate kicking camps, you know, they've got that what they call their scholarship camp where for two days, all the kickers in the country who want to can come in and basically just chart field goals. And then they post the results so that colleges can see and colleges can then decide to recruit based on what they see. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of, uh, and not specifically speaking to kicking, you know, for, for the other guys, for example, there's a lot of this, uh, what's called, you know, seven on seven, um, where position, uh, skill position guys will go essentially play football out outside of the season without pads. And, um, you know, college coaches will speak to the fact that, you know, those things happen, but those things don't, aren't, don't speak as loudly as, as game film does. And, you know, those camps are, are great to help get kids on the page, but ultimately to me, the, the only way to get recruited is by putting points on the board during a game um, and showing you can do it when the lights are on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I respect that. And I'm just curious, how did you get into coaching and how did you end up at Lawrence North? Yeah, great question. So um, I went to high school at Center Grove on the south side of Indianapolis. Um, they are obviously a, a big football powerhouse um, and uh, they're, they're really good this year. Uh, we play them in two weeks and uh, we've, we're going to have our hands full when we do. Um, really proud to have come from there though. Played for Coach Eric Moore, great, great guy. Um, him and the defensive coordinator, Brian Harbin, um, at the time got me involved. Um, but so after I graduated uh, at Ball State, um, had been graduated for a year or two, and um, one of the, uh, the assistant coaches at the time at Center Grove named Patrick Mallory, um, he had just gotten a, uh, had, he got the head coaching job at Lawrence North. Hadn't talked to him since high school, but reached out on Facebook and was just like, hey, Coach Mallory, huge congratulations on, on the gig. I mean, you know, it, it's, uh, for those who are familiar with Indiana football, you know, the MIT conference is, is the powerhouse of Indiana football. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, it, the MIC is known as being one of the most powerful athletic conferences in the Midwest and the country um, all around, not just football. 
Um, but uh, so after I sent that message, he was like, Hey, you know, are you interested in coaching? And uh, I was like, I sure, you know, why not? I'd love to help. And at the time I was thinking like, this is just going to be me coming in, you know, kind of just helping him out, helping him with kickers. Um, and I actually remember going in the first day of fall football and being like, so like, am I, am I actually like a coach on your staff or am I just like here to help out? And he's like, Oh yeah, no, I, I want you full time. And, and I think at the time uh, he had his uh, I think he knew what he was going to try to develop out of me. And um, you know, I had every intention of it just kind of being a, Oh, like I'm here to help out the kickers. But um, I, I really fell in love with uh, you know, just coaching football in general, um, getting to be around kids um, and you know, as a kicker in college, you sit in all these long special teams meetings that really don't apply to you, but you sit there and hear the information. Um, so it's come in handy um, along the way, knowing some, some tips and tricks uh, in coaching special teams along the way. Um, absolutely love it. We've got a great football team this year. We're four and two. Just got a big win over Ben Davis. Um, first time we beat Ben Davis in I think 11 years and the first time we've ever beaten Ben Davis at Ben Davis in program history. Um, so we've got some momentum going into, we're going into Warren Central on Friday. Um, that's never a t easy team to play, let alone when you're playing in their environment. Um, so, you know, we're, we're pretty excited to have an opportunity to, to go out and show our stuff. Um, so Good stuff. So how does, how does your experience as a former Collegate kicker inform your, your, I guess, coaching style as, as a special teams coordinator now? And then I guess as a second part to that question, Ian, like, as, as like, I'm thinking back to my experience as, you know, from playing high school football and we, my, my high school staff, we didn't necessarily have like a special teams coach. Um, so as a special teams coordinator at that level, are, are you responsible for like designing and installing any like, you know, like fake field goals, fake punts, anything like that? Like what's, what's your level, I guess, of involvement with like that part of the game plan? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I pretty much am, am responsible. No, I shouldn't say completely responsible. So the head coach Patrick Malley and I kind of work hand in hand on these things. Um, I, I come up with a lot of the schemes per se, um, but they don't get implemented unless the head coach a hundred percent approves. Mm -hmm. um, okay which I, I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, Cause if I'm going to make a call on the field, I want to know that I'm going to be backed up when I, you know, something bad goes, goes wrong. Um, and sure. that's one reason I love coaching for him is that he's always got my back. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I think one thing that might set me apart from, from other people who may coach special teams is because I have a knowledge of kicking and what it's like to be a kicker. Um, there are, you know, I'm biased in certain situations where, you know, I may want to kick field goals when people don't want to, um, you know, in JV and a freshman games, when coaches want to go for two, I'm saying, no, no, go kick the PAT. Um, one thing I, I learned from playing for Brady Hoke was um, every week that we had a game, we always had an onside kick. We always had a fake punt and we always had a fake field goal in place for every team. And those fakes could change every single week based on how the other team aligns, who's on the field for them. You know, are they using starters on special teams? Are they using backup guys? Um, you know, things like that. So that's one thing I've, I've carried over that, you know, I, I, it, I, I love doing in practice, especially because those are the kinds of things that kids love to do. Kids love, you know, trick plays and, and fakes and onside kicks and stuff like that. Now, obviously we very rarely do those things, but knowing that they're in our back pocket, um, you know, it's one of those things better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it. Um, and I think as a, uh, you know, one thing I've really learned about the game of football in general is, you know, as a kicker or as anyone outside of the game of football, you don't realize how much goes into the X's and O's of football. Um, you know, football to the outsider may just look like a bunch of big sweaty guys, you know, running downfield and trying to tackle each other, but it, it's very much a chess match. Yeah. Um, and I've learned that even more so as a coach, how much work goes into preparing for games. Um, our coaches spend hours of their time on the weekends, watching film, breaking down film of the other team, figuring out weaknesses, tendencies. Um, but that's fun um, because then it makes wins even more meaningful knowing that your hard work, not only your hard work went into helping your kids come up with the right game plan to be successful. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, are you, are you, is there any plans for you to, uh, w would you like to, uh, are you, are you basically, are you 
like I assume you're happy with your job, but would you ever consider moving to a, a uh, moving up to a college or are you just content with staying where you are? Very where you are at? where I am. Yeah. So, um, I, I mean, I, I'm not a teacher. I work outside the school. Um, so I very much, you know, do this, you know, because I love, obviously I love coaching kickers, but just as much now I love, I love working with the kids that are on our football team. Um, it, it's kind of one of those things where you, once you get into it, it's really, really hard to get out. <clears throat> um, so, you know, and, and every level of coaching is very, very different from each other as well as playing, obviously. Um, you know, I, I can only imagine what the pressure is like to be a college football coach and know that every week, you know, your job is on the line. Um, you know, it's not something you feel at the high school level. Um, it's more about being a part of a team and being successful together than it is about you as an individual, making sure that you um, aren't going to make a mistake and not be coaching the next week, if you will, you know, yeah. so. Yeah. Um, Ian, the last question I have, and then I'll, I'll let Sam wrap it up if he has anything final. But the last question for me is, you know, you, you talked a lot about the, the X's and O's of football. And, and I think even when it specifically comes to, to special teams, I think even a lot of people who might be, you know, somewhat informed football fans probably don't realize the level of preparation and nuance that goes into special teams. So like as, as a special teams coordinator and a special teams coach now, like what, what goes through your mind when you see things like what happened to the Falcons a couple weeks ago against the Cowboys, where they just lift that onside kick roll for 10 yards and then the Cowboys recovered it? Like, again, I feel like a lot of people might just assume that special teams is a, is a given, just a toss in, you know, a third phase of the game. But like when you see things like that happen and you know the preparation and the X's and O's behind special teams, you know, what, what, what makes, what, like, what do you think, what goes through your mind when you see something like that happen? Yeah. Um, you know, of course, uh, a lot of people, when they saw that the next day came to me and they're like, Hey, you know, especially other coaches on my staff, like, you know, why don't we put that in? Like, that looks like a great idea. Well, um, and, and well, I guess, let me backtrack for a second. As far as the onside kick specifically goes. So, you know, speaking specifically to that, the Falcons Cowboys onside kick by Greg Zerline. Um, one thing that you're taught on what we call the hands team, which is the team that goes against the onside kick team. It, it's specifically, typically 11 guys who have the best hands on the team um, and are also aggressive where, you know, if there's a dog fight for a ball, it's someone who's going to go in there and put their nose in there and go get it for you. Um, so one of the things that you coach with your quote unquote hands team is that the ball doesn't have to go 10 yards for you to go get it. And um, obviously the kicking team has to let it go 10 yards, but the return team does not. And that's where the error fell with that onside kick um, was any one of those Falcons players could have run up and got the ball way before it went 10 yards. And that would have been it. Um, and it's funny because that's something we coach to our kids and um, you know, kids make mistakes. Obviously everyone does, but you see pros make a mistake like that. And we're like, we coach that at the high school level. It's very surprising to see professionals make such a big mistake as such that really, I mean, it cost them the game, obviously. So um but yeah, yeah, I think um, I'm lucky to work for a, a head coach and a staff where we know how much special teams can mean to a game, um, both positively and negatively. Um, you know, for example, um, had a punt blocked earlier this year that went for a touchdown, ended up losing us a game earlier this season. Obviously, I take full responsibility for that. Um, but on the flip side, the week before that, we had a fake punt go for a touchdown. So, you know, it can swing both ways. And, and one of the fun things about special teams is – the momentum it carries with it every play that every play can go for a touchdown either way. Um, and uh, obviously that puts a little pressure on your shoulders, um, but, but totally worth it. Love every minute of it. Um, so. In, in my final, I, I've, I've kind of got two questions. And since I, I'm a ball state student, I wasn't around to watch the Brady Hoke Aaron one. So I'm just curious, what was Brady Hoke like? What was that transition like after he left to San Diego State? And then one, one final question. And then how do you how do you feel about the current uh, team we've got at Ball State? Yeah, absolutely. So Brady Hoke was the definition of a player's coach. Um, he knew every player on the team. He knew every player's parents by name. So you might be walking down the hallway. He'd be like, hey, how, how's your mom and dad? And would call them by name. Um, and, and he call you by name and shake your hand and look you in the eye. Um, it, things were very different after Brady Hoke left. Um, 
it, it, it just the feeling wasn't the same in, in that building those my, my final two years and it's hard to put words as to what the difference was um it just it just wasn't the same um you know especially that 08 season there was just there was a vibe and i actually remember the year before um you know it, it's kind of funny that people know how things are going to be at that level um so my freshman year in the 07 season we played at the international bowl in toronto which was it was so awesome i mean getting to play in a bowl game was so special um the summer going into that season, the coaches or ball state um, had to get all the players passports. And, you know, you, you sit back and think, well, you know, why in the summer before your season even starts, I even thinking about getting players passports. Well, you know, they knew, they knew going into that 07 season that there was a chance that we were going to go bowling that year. Um, and, and, and so they, they knew, and, and, you know, nothing specific to that, but, you know, going into the 08 season, I think we all knew as well that the stars were going to be in line for that season. Uh, not just, you know, and for lots of reasons, the coaching staff, we had great coaches, we had players, coaches, we had coaches that, you know, you wanted to be around um, who, who treated you like a, a you know, a, an individual and not just like a kid. Um, and it, it was just different after, after those guys left. Um, and I've actually had the opportunity to keep in touch with a few of them, um, both, both before with Brady Hoke and some of the coaches after, um, who, you know, for example, um, Mark Smith, uh, who actually recruited me, um, got, I've talked to him a couple times since he's now, um, coaching at Indiana state where he's been, he was actually there before ball state, um, coach Eklinski, um, who was our receivers coach at the time is now the OC back at San Diego state with coach Hoke again. Um, uh, you know, even, even to this day, those guys will still, you know, know who you are. And, and I think that makes the difference. It wasn't just them coaching football. It was them having relationships with us. Um, and, and, you know, one thing I learned, I've learned in coaching is, um, you know, there's way more to coaching than football. Uh, it's about building relationships with players and, and helping them to, you know, become young men, um, rather than just, you know, putting points on the board. So. Um, but as far as, you know, one of the things that I love about uh, Coach New and, and, you know, as an alum, I, I'm pretty sure I speak for most alum, if not all, when I say, if there's anyone who's going to bring this team back to Detroit, it's, it's Mike New. Um, every year I go back and play in, you know, our alumni golf outing. And every time I hear Coach New speak about the Ball State program, it makes me want to go put on a pair of pads. Um, he, he just, he's that guy. He gets, he gets you hyped up. Um, you know, like Brady Hoke, it's very evident. He's a player's coach. So one of the things that, um, you know, one of the other coaches told me that he does is he actually shakes every player's hand when they enter the building for practice every day, shakes every individual kid's hand as a head football coach. You've got so much on your plate, you know, how he make, he makes the effort and time to do that for his kids, to make sure that they know that they're not just there to go put on pads and run out on the field. Um, that they, they are, they are individuals and that he is there for them. Um, and, you know, obviously for other reasons, other, you know, we've got lots of returning starters, um, a lot of great things happening within the program. I've actually got three uh, Lawrence North alumni uh, on the Ball State roster. Um, very, very proud to get to go see my Cardinals and even more proud when I get to go see kids that I've coached go play for, for my Ball State Cardinals. Um, but but yeah, Mike, Mike New has that program heading in the direction it needs to go. Um, you know, last year, there were a couple of way too close calls that unfortunately didn't go in our direction. Um, and I think this year, we're going to see the opposite. If we get in those close situations, I see our now experienced veteran players, you know, coming out on top. So Detroit or bust for our Cardinals. I actually, Ian, before we let you go, I actually, uh, that brought me up, brought me another question. How do you, how do you feel about Maction returning in the fall? So last Friday was a really, really good day for me. Um, because number one, I found out that ball state football was coming back and my kicker hit a game winning field goal for us to beat Ben Davis. So, uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, just, you know, it's really difficult to fathom what kids are going through mentally right now with all of what's going on. Um, you know, obviously the pandemic, um, you know, politics in the state that they're at right now. Um, it's gotta be really difficult to be a college athlete right now. And, 
Um, you know, since the moment that teams and conferences started canceling football, you saw how the kids reacted on social media. And, you know, it, it, in the spring, it was harder to imagine what it felt like. But now when I'm in football season with my kids, you know, we know that every day could be the last day that we get to step on the field for the season. Um, and, you know, knowing that it, it, I just, I can't imagine what it's like to be a player, you know, that, that an athlete that's not getting to play, you know, a season of their career. And I get that they're saying, oh, you know, they'll still get eligibility and all those things, but it, it's still just not the same. Um, and just really happy for those kids. Um, I know that they have been practicing because they were hopeful that this would happen. And I'm glad it really, I'm really happy. You know, it's one thing to say, hey, yes, we get football back, but I'm just happy for those athletes that they, they get to play. Um, Cause why else are they there other than to, you know, get on the field and go show what they can do. So. Awesome stuff. Yeah. I think we all agree with that. I think I, I know me and Sam and everyone here at hustle, but we're all very, very excited uh, to be able to watch Mac football here again in, uh, in, in a little bit over a month. And um, yeah, it's going to, it's going to be an interesting, it's going to be, you know, a six game season. It's obviously something that's never been done before, but I think, you know, you, you had said Detroit or bust for ball state. I think there's a lot of people out there that are picking the Cardinals to, to, to make it to, uh, to, to Ford field. I think when you look at the talent they have coming back and, you know, compare them with some of the other teams in the West division, I think it's wide open. I think ball state's right there. I think uh, this, this could be the year. So we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful for sure. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I'm there with you, Ian. I'm ready to take some PTO days and go on a bowl trip. That's all I'm there saying. You go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm there with you. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up. Ian, thank you so much for your time. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Likewise, likewise. Appreciate everything the Hustle Belt does. Go Cards. Awesome. Yeah, <laughs> that thanks, was, good good uh, luck the rest of this year, Lawrence North, too. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, and, again, that was Ian McGarvey, again, retired as the all-time Ball State leading in leading scorer in school history. I mean, you just listened to that conversation. Absolute legend. We thank Ian again. Ian, have a great rest of your day. You too, fellas. Go Cards. <laughs> And with that being said, uh, we're going to wrap it up for this episode. Uh, Zach, any final closing thoughts on this episode? We touched on the Maction is Back uh, segment. We got the COVID is outbreak at Buffalo. Miami players opting back in the Twitter question. And then wrapping up with that nice little Ian McGarvey bow. Yeah. I, thanks again to Ian for joining us. I thought that was a great conversation. Uh, as someone that, you know, remembers watching that 2008 Ball State team, it was awesome to hear some of the stories of he told about, you know, Brady Hoke and him remembering every player's name and their parents' names and all that stuff. That's great stuff. Um, other than that, Sam, though, I'm just, you know, I'm, I am, I feel like I'm a broken record. I keep saying this, but I'm just excited that the Mac is back, that we're going to have football to watch here in a couple weeks. Uh, looking forward to getting some season preview stuff out here over the next month or so. I think it's all great stuff, Sam. I'm excited to see uh, what this season brings. And, uh, you know, November's going to hit. And we're going to be busy. We're going to have football. We're going to have basketball. Hopefully we're going to have all this stuff going on. It's going to be a lot going on. I, I, I love it. It's going to be great. So true. I'm there with you. And again, as Zach mentioned, big shout out to uh, Ian McGarvey for joining us. We hope to have him back on sometime in the future if he'll let us, because that was an awesome conversation. Really great to know. Great to hear the insight behind when Ball State was actually pretty good. But <laughs> but beyond that, yeah, that's going to wrap it up for this episode, episode 13. I don't like that we're putting it on a Friday, but, you know, you know, hey, it is what it is. You got, sometimes you got to do what you got to do, you know. Hopefully that doesn't bring us bad luck or any of you listeners out there. <laughs> Even if you want, you could push it off till Saturday so you can ward off that bad luck. There you go. There. But with that being said, we're going to wrap it up for episode 13. Hope you guys have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you guys next Friday.